0: Hello and welcome to CS Talks, India's first and leading podcast on cyber security. Picking up the discussion from where we had left, the data is out there, and uh, whether you exploit it or you know do something beneficial of it, it's absolutely. How do you use it is up to them. Uh, yes,
1: there's both potential for use and misuse. Some Correct. people are using it for mining good things also, right? For medical science, data is being used to you know. Uh, find out common genes which can be, you know, targeted so that some of the some of the problems which we have in medical world can be handled like cancer. So it has both potential for use and misuse, like any other technology. Right, or maybe better sleep using...
0: patterns and uh, yeah, you know, yeah, mm-hmm. and so on. Sure. And now again related to this, I mean, you know, because uh, vehicle to everything is going to be a protocol that is going to be implemented. I mean, vehicles are going to be control, uh, con- connected to your phone, connected to probably some of your home devices, connected to nearby servers uh, through 5G. Now, uh, now the vehicle is, the way I see it is, it, it, it's a moving computer. I mean, it's a mobile computer. It has all the information out there, and then it has infotainment systems, variables, and, you know, they have connected home assistants. So can these be, you know, uh, used in digital forensics or used for digital forensics? Absolutely. Absolutely. So what happens is whenever a
1: crime happens, you know, as a criminal, I may leave my phone behind to misguide criminal, um, misguide investigators, but I have to go inside a car, right? So my unique signature can be identified at which car I traveled to, which place did I go to? Uh, let's see if I'm carrying my phone, my phone will automatically sync to car infotainment system, which will have logs of all the calls and so on. So and the GPS these,
0: systems also like, uh, yes, yes. Right?
1: So the car has an inbuilt GPS system these days. Almost all the cars, right? So yeah, yeah. Where your car was, it records everything where you have been. So all this information can be extracted very easily by law enforcement agencies from the vehicles and the interconnected devices. This can be then you know integrated with all the information which they already have about you from various other digital devices, and then they can construct a model that you know of what all have you done, what all were your movements, and you know what all were your activities, and all that can lead to digital artifacts, which can be your digital evidence for a particular cyber crime or a conventional crime where technology has been leveraged.
0: Oh. It is good to know that <laughs> because that is a, that gives us uh, def- a definite assurance that you know we are definitely uh, vigilant and watchful. So um, now we have talked about criminal behavior. We have talked about how they exploit uh, emotions and how we have even talked about uh, the new future technologies, how they can be exploited and so on. Now, I'm pretty sure, like, you know, in the olden times, uh, some clever criminals, they, you know, try to wipe off their tracks and, you know, fingerprints and so on. So these days, there might be, you know, cases where criminals are also aware and trying to, you know, combat they know that w- what are the kind of digital forensics methods that might be used against them, and they might try to divide, uh, you know, d- destroy a device or you know, uh, yes. damage, you know, so that you don't have evidence against them. So yes, we call is it impossible to you know conduct digital forensics on a de- damaged device. So we call it you know anti forensics, where criminal is trying to destroy
1: the way evidence can be extracted you know criminal is destroying device for example let's say if you raid me you are a police personnel and i am a criminal first thing i will do is i will either throw my phone onto wall so that it breaks down or i will put it into a glass of water or i will throw into a nearby pond
0: oh, or from okay.
1: outside uh, uh, the window so that it falls from uh, you know big height and it breaks down assuming okay. that you can't extract information out of it right right so device is the most common way Criminals try to, you know, um, make sure that you know forensics becomes difficult and it is extremely it is not easy for law enforcement agencies. However, what he doesn't know that you know there are exhaustive work which is happening in extracting data from damaged devices. So, because chips onto those phones are very small in size, it is very, very difficult to damage it. You can damage the circuit board, you can damage the body, you can damage various other things but the chip which contains data is extremely small fingernail kind of size chip which is not easy to break it is made of silicon you know very sturdy very hard at times it has survived firing of bullet also there are cases where somebody fired and phone uh, the bullet went through the phone but still the chip survived rest of the portion was broken right so in most of the cases even if the device is broken or mistreated like water or salt or you know and so on right you're can be extracted from the motherboard chip can be connected to specialized connectors and data can be recovered and it will only delay because once you extract raw data you have to reconstruct it you have to do uh, use the specialized digital forensic softwares to uh, make the sense of the data but you can always get this data back you can always carry out digital forensics using those specialized softwares it is almost like saying that you know uh, you will always get the answers. There might be late delays, uh, like we call it in Hindi with the famous phrase that, you know, there hai par and it could be that, you know, the forensic investigation will get delayed, but it will definitely be done.
0: Absolutely. And now, this is so interesting, actually. I mean, this also explores. Uh, You know, uh, this uh, creates a venue to explore into so many different uh, types of attacks and, you know, the behavior of the criminals, trying to understand them. For example, uh, out of curiosity, now I'm curious to know if they can exploit, you know, timing attacks, power monitoring attacks, electromagnetic attacks. And so, you know, side channel attacks is what I'm getting into. Like what the type of side channel attacks that they can get into like right uh, channel is an extremely interesting phenomena it's like it's like uh,
1: uh, let's say if you are sitting inside house you are hungry and somebody is cooking something in the kitchen you can come to know what is being cooked by the smell, smell coming it. to yeah, you right? yeah similarly those kind of techniques are being used both by criminals and law enforcement agencies it's like if your computer is right now uh, heavily used you know you are doing some kind of uh, activity which is consuming a lot of power it tells me that you are doing something important, right? So these kind of uh, solutions has been developed both by criminals as well as law enforcement agencies. And I'll give you example. One very famous uh, uh, social attack, uh, which was used in early 2000, or n- late 90s, was uh, knowing what you are typing on your computer. And how, what they used to do once upon a time, we had those keyboards which we used to make sound when you were trapping the key. All right. Right. So what people did is, each key is making a sound which is unique to the key. Now, if I can record what sound is being produced when you are typing, if I can record all that sound, I can actually train a model which can tell me what you have typed. Okay. Right. So what criminals did is, they used to have very high quality, small microphone, which they used to uh, you know, put outside the window of the person they want to know what he's typing. For example, let's say I'm a VIP person, I have important information, uh, I have a glass window in my office, and a criminal just pasted a small, high quality uh, microphone on one corner of the glass of my window. And this, this microphone will keep on recording whatever is being typed in my room. And you know the, what will happen is each keystroke sound will be transmitted by this microphone to the car where the criminals are standing in 2 300 400 meters away and they will record each keystroke and convert and find out what i have typed this will include my passwords login details and email which i have typed and so on and to the accuracy which is as high as 98 to 99% that Absolutely. was
0: the first yeah yeah i can imagine right. i mean they can uh, approximate the sound to the possible uh, characters or numbers yes. or what has been typed yes. wow yes and similarly you know very recently
1: i came to know uh, uh, there was one research paper which was presented in singapore uh, where they told that you know it is it is a very interesting fraud that let's say if i have to get into your house and you have a lock hanging outside your door so what i need to do is i have to accompany you when you are opening the lock by putting your key into the lock and i only have to have my sound recorder on what they say is when you put your when you slide the key into the lock the, the noise which the click flows,
0: of the yeah
1: the clicks of the key to the lock pads you know the, each head creates a unique sound wow so if i can just record <laughs> a 3 to 4 second sound when you are inserting the key i can there are there is a software which they have developed which can model this sound to develop a key to the accuracy that i they will come out with three physical keys and they are sure that in hundred percent cases, out of these three
0: keys, you can open the door. So as a criminal, if I just so even with a thirty-three percent chance, they are sure that they would be able to break into our house. Oh, just they are hundred percent sure that with three keys you can open the lock. Which means,
1: <laughs> which means you have to. Only, so let's see. If I have to try unlimited number of keys outside your house, somebody will see me. Right. But trying three keys will only take three or four seconds.
0: Absolutely.
1: And they, they, their solution requires three keys because when you are inserting the key into the lock head. You know, the last head is only touched once and that's where they lack it. If that head sound could be recorded twice, they could make it one key only.
0: Oh. And that was an interesting. This paper. There's a video on it, which is easy to find. Oh, this is fantastic. I mean, I always thought this was stuff of movies and, you know, cooked up by the script writers, but they do have some research. And this is possibly coming out of a lot of real, uh, yeah, this is use of high-tech for conventional
1: crimes. I'm opening it hard lock and key with the key only, but the key is being designed using the sound of the uh, insertion of the key into the lock and criminal can actually very easily get this information.
0: And this is so easy to be, you know, uh, be ignored by almost 80 to 90% of people. I mean, why they wouldn't <laughs> even bother about this? Like who, who cares about the noise made by, uh, I mean, the setting. Yeah.
1: So, you know, let's see if you are going to your house, I can be standing just near you on my phone on <laughs> in a recording mode, and nobody bothers.
0: Yes, it, it, and it recently is. nightmare, as, as well as
1: <laughs> recently I saw one more uh, research paper where they told that you know people on Zoom, you know, by seeing the movement of the shoulder, somebody can figure out what you're typing on your computer screen. Wow, okay. Is that really true? Yeah, it's a published research paper. It might not oh. be commercially available, but what they're saying is the way you type, there is a movement in your upper body part and that is unique to the way you are typing, what you are typing.
0: Yeah, I and have again, I have listened to, I have heard, sorry to uh, cut you short, but I have... Uh, I have used, uh, I mean, boxers use this all the time. I mean, the shoulder projection is used by boxers to identify what kind of a shot the other person is going to, you know, uh, hit. So it, it is possible, but to that level of detail, I mean, it's amazing.
1: Yeah. There's a paper known as zoom on keystrokes, exploiting video call for keystroke inference attacks.
0: Oh, that's brilliant.
1: University of Texas and university of Oklahoma has done this work and they say it is now, uh, you know, uh, up to ninety-three uh, percent
0: uh, accuracy, they can get with this. Wow, that's amazingly accurate. I mean, ninety-three percent is off the charts.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. You you can actually misuse all these things. So there are there are various other side channel attacks, like you know, uh, you know, uh, it may not be truly side channel attack. For example, if you have your laptop and let's say if you have shut it down, you believe it is safe because it has encryption and And you know, you can't somebody, nobody can log in without your passwords. But let's say if you forget to change the boot sequence, let's say your boot sequence allows boot from USB or a CD or a DVD as the first option and boot from hard disk is the second option. Second option. Even though your computer is off, I can boot your computer using an external USB drive, which is having a bootable operating system on it. And once I boot it, I can actually access all the data on your hard drive. Wow. So just a simple configuration issue. Could actually lead to loss of data from your device. So these are some very small things which can happen, which can go wrong, and which we never, con- you know, consider. No, I don't know how many people have checked their boot sequence. That what is a boot sequence they have?
0: <laughs> right, I, I do. I do keep keep a check on it because I have to uh, whenever I have to install Linux and create yeah. a dual boot device and so on. So yeah, I, I mean, but you are right. I normally people have like a single boot device and they are not even aware of i mean i, I don't know how many people are aware of the bios itself and uh, the possible configurations that are you know provided by the factory manufa- uh, by the manufacturer in the bios so nobody really explores that that now uh, Coming into BIOS and coming into laptops and technologies, now we see that, you know, in the youngsters these days, uh, there is this craze of games, you know, like they're using a wide range of gaming devices. You, you know, even have games on Android, phones and so on. We heard of some dangerous games like the Blue Whale or something like that. And now people are misusing the, games to reach to youngsters and the younger population also mm-hmm. and uh gaming devices have also start i mean there, there have been papers and research papers uh talking about uh security in gaming devices and you know loopholes and vulnerabilities that are being exploited through these uh mmorpg games and so on so uh does digital forensics also deal with that yes
1: Absolutely. So, what happens is, you know, gaming devices are right now becoming crazily popular among youngsters, as you rightly said. And these devices are now also coming with a lot of sensors. That means a lot of data about users are being collected by these gaming devices. That these gaming devices can also be misused by criminals for, you know, uh, because these gaming devices are very powerful. They have GPUs, they can be used by criminals to install something known as bots which are mining bitcoins, right They can be used to spy on young ones right because you know it has cameras and it has all kinds of sensors. So these gaming devices can be investigated uh, for, uh, for these kind of issues. For example, whether a bot is running which is doing mining of bitcoins or not, whether the, whether the device is compromised to spy on the people or not. So what all can go wrong with gaming devices and these connected components, there are digital forensic investigation which can be done and with conclusion we can find out what all criminals might be doing how this device might have been compromised and uh, and you know uh, how the privacy of the users has been infringed all this can be identified then there is one more kind of uh, problem which we see with gaming devices people are taking undue advantage by finding out flaws to win the games to jump the levels to get extra advantage against others and and there are some gaming competitions which happen so yeah. from those gaming competitions point of view fairness could be one important aspect where forensic investigation can help whether the person has won the game using fair means or not so that kind of digital forensic analysis can also be done for the gaming devices Oh,
0: that is amazing because uh in the past year i have attended a lot of esports uh, events and esports uh, seminars where esport is becoming uh, quite a thing i mean uh, yeah, game, absolutely. Uh, professional gaming and competitive gaming is uh, an actual reality where there are teams and it's quite a commercial business out mm-hmm. there and you have pro gamers participating and competing with each other and just like the Olympics or any other, they, they are even saying that uh, a lot of games are going to be included in a, some sort of an e-Olympic kind of a version where there will be a worldwide competition and so on. So Yeah, so fairness becomes very important aspect. Very important, absolutely. That is amazing. Uh, now, uh, I'll be digressing a bit from the... Uh, you know, gaming and the software aspect of it to a bit more of hardware and the usage of hardware. Now, uh, we are seeing uh, a lot of, uh, you know, in transport tech or even, you know, urban air mobility and urban mobility and so on. We are seeing drone technology coming up, surveillance technology coming up. And, you know, the use of, even our government has now approved uh, drones of certain categories and classifications to be used. Uh, these might be used in agriculture or transport or logistics, supply and chain logistics, and so on. Now, um, what? Where do you foresee digital forensics being, you know, uh, applicable and implemented in, uh, you know, something? Is, is is there something like drone forensics, or you know? Yes so you know drone is actually a combination of various technologies
1: it is uh, it has a onboard computer it has a camera or a video device and then it has a transport system right it has uh, something which powers the motor so that it can it can be uh, on air yeah. so now so we need you know this is being used and misused both for various things you know it has potential where a criminal can attack uh, or a neighbor country can attack across boundaries it has uh, surveillance capabilities because it can capture images and videos and audios. Um, it is used for various services like, you know, uh, as you told, agriculture, sports, filming, and so on. So it actually requires specialized uh, uh, forensic investigation, which is known as drone forensics, which incorporates audio, video, and image forensics, which is again conventional digital forensics, where authentication and extraction of Audio, video and image from the storage devices carried out, which is like any other normal digital forensics, which we do. Then it has sensors. uh, And then you need to find out where it is connecting, uh, whether it is connecting to a particular network, whether it is collecting data offline and then transmitting using some kind of a spatial medium. So it requires investigation from that point of view also when we are talking about across countries and across border uh, misuse of drones. So drone forensics, has unique challenges. And for that purpose, drone forensics related research is gaining ground. Specialized drone forensic labs are being opened up and lot of emphasis there uh, to investigate specific crimes which can be done using drone and how to investigate them in a fast track manner because you require specialized connectors, you require specialized software, yeah you require understanding of how something might have been done so drone forensics is something which is gaining ground people are aware and law enforcement and digital forensic community is well equipped well prepared to handle drone forensic challenges
0: so when we say well prepared are the does this also mean that we are uh you know, there are existing laws and protocols that also allow us for cross-border interaction or, you know, conducting surveys and so on, because uh, once you're in the air, uh, it's different than being in the on the ground. I, I mean, think there are... There, I, so uh, aviation laws and other things also would come into place. That's what I'm saying. So uh, there are
1: laws for all uh, international cross-border kind of thing. Okay. And they have to adhere to those international laws and treaties and... Uh, so uh, right now my uh, focus is on digital forensic aspect of forensics of sure. drones, and for that you require how to extract data from drones, how to extract how to data, relate data uh, for a particular case, and how to find out uh, what all is being carried out in terms of uh, malicious and unlawful uses of drones.
0: Okay. Now. Um, uh, Drones and all these softwares and, you know, uh, be it hardware, be it software, be it games, be it drones, we always come across two major classifications of technology. One is, you know, proprietary um, code or proprietary software written somewhere. And uh, there's also a wide, wide acceptance of open source information and, you know, open source practices and so on. is there are there open source tools or open source uh, you know uh, publicly available uh,
1: yes tools so you know this is a very important aspect uh, open source versus commercial tools so when we talk about digital forensics it requires admissibility in court of law which means whatever solution you use you have to ensure the repeatability of the solution it should not be the case that you know what you have done cannot be reproduced by using any other tools or any other software Right. That is very, very important. So, so there are open source tools. Uh, many times digital forensic investigation does not go to court of law, right? When two private parties are involved or if, if a company is, uh, you know, investigating an espionage by employee and so on. Many times these kind of cases do not go to the court of law. Okay, but The parties are interested to find out truth. Parties are interested to only find out what has gone wrong, what somebody has done using what is the methodology which has been used to carry out this fraud. There to save cost, open source tools are being used. Uh, however, when we talk about uh, digital forensics investigation, which goes to the court of law, most of the uh, you know uh, investigators or most of the forensic scientists prefer commercial tools because that provides them ease of uses. It is not that open source tools can't be used open source tools require a little more practice, a little more expertise and then a little less user-friendly compared to commercial tools. Right. But what happens is initially open source tools are developed for some new kind of problems and over a period of time, commercial tools incorporate those kind of features into their tools. So this is a very good, uh, you know, evolution process where new problems, new solutions are being developed initially they are used and refined through open source tools, and slowly they become part of their, uh, you know, uh, commercial tools and, uh, and you know tools which are used for carrying out investigation. And you know, one very interesting science which is gaining ground is open source intelligence these days. Open source oh, intelligence okay. is the practice where you know information is collected about various things from published and otherwise publicly available sources.
0: So this ah, is being okay. used
1: to, you know, find sentiment of the people. For example, let's say when when we won in Olympics in the mood of the country was very positive. And if something goes wrong, you know, we all have sentiments driven
0: uh, analysis uh, things, and yeah, yeah. events
1: which are happening. Similarly, when criminals are there who are trying to influence people uh, for various communal purposes and for for that matter, any uses or misuses, you know, they're using social media a lot. So what law enforcement agencies are also doing, they are using open source intelligence where they are collecting, inform- they are developed tools, their commercial as well as open source tools, which collect information from available public sources, including all of the social media. Okay. And that information is being collated to find out sentiments, to find out if there is anything, any misuse of technology is being done or not. And that can be used to stop something from becoming big. Beforehand, so they can find out that somebody's uh, somebody's trying to influence communities. Somebody's trying to so Mm -hmm. open source intelligence becomes extremely important because uh, because you know all this data has to be in public because they want to influence people and that is very similar
0: to a movie that I had seen. It was called Minority Report and uh, kind of
1: yes, yeah, yes, uh,
0: absolutely. absolutely. We will continue this discussion with Dr. Gupta and learn about more interesting use cases, case studies, and aspects of digital forensics. Stay tuned.